I'll repeat myself. I didn't have the mic on. The Court will hear argument in Morgan Stanley Capital Group, Inc. against Snohomish Public Utility District Number number 1, or Public District of Snohomish County Number 1. Mr. Needle. Thank you, Justice Stevenson. May it please the Court. The Federal Re- Energy Regulatory Commission in this case reasonably denied respondents' requests to modify the wholesale contracts that the purchasing power companies had entered into in 2000 and 2001. The Commission reasonably concluded that respondents had not made the requisite showing under the Federal Power Act and under this Court's decisions in Mobile and Sierra that modification of the contracts was necessary in the public interest. In reaching that conclusion, FERC first drew on three factors that this Court had identified in Sierra and found that they were not satisfied. Thus, it found that respondents had failed to show that the contracts would impose financial strain on the purchasing companies, that it would impose excessive burdens on the customers, or that they were unduly discriminatory. But FERC also looked — FERC thought it could live with the Ninth Circuit's decision because the government recommended that we deny cert in this case. Isn't that so? That — that is — that is correct. And — and um, uh, FERC thought that perhaps the decision could be limited to the circumstances arising out of the California energy crisis in the years 2000-2001 and that it could channel its concerns about contract stability through those other factors. But uh, nonetheless, FERC uh, believes, as its decisions make clear and as our position in this Court makes clear, that the Ninth Circuit's uh, reformulation of the Mobile Sierra doctrine or interpretation of the Act was incorrect. Um, and now that the Court has granted review, uh, we, we urge affirmance of FERC's decision in this case. Wasn't it, wasn't it clear to the government uh, that uh, the Ninth Circuit which is what, about 10 percent of the country was, was, was going to continue this interpretation of the Act, and that was not a matter of any consequence to FERC or to the government? It, it, it was of consequence, but um, FERC still believed it had some interpretive authority after the decision. Maybe this was a wrong judgment at the time, but FERC thought that uh, it, it still had some interpretive authority under the decision. But, Mr. Mr. Needler, this is a decision, the Ninth Circuit decision, that empowers FERC. Burke says, oh, we don't have that authority. And the Ninth Circuit said, yes, you do. So this is an agency arguing that it can't do what um, the Ninth Circuit says it can. And why can it not? Because of two decisions of this Court. Is that right? Well, two decisions of this Court uh, and 50 years of intervening uh, FERC, before that Federal Power Commission practice. Well, wait, wait, wait. It, it didn't just say the agency may do it. It said the agency must do it. I don't, I don't consider must to be an empowerment. I consider that to be a direction. Right. That, that, that is correct. I mean, it, it, I, I think I took the question to be that it might give FERC broader flexibility, but at a very substantial cost to the stability of contracts, which was the underlying point that this Court stressed in its decision in Sierra. The the Federal Power Act, unlike — and the Natural Gas Act, unlike the Interstate Commerce Act, contemplates that that, uh, rates will be set by contract, or at least can be set by contract. 
and that therefore, like in most situations, a party to a contract cannot unilaterally walk away from that contract or insist upon its modification because it may become disadvantageous over let's, time. Let's go back a step. I thought Burke's position was we could not decide as a matter of discretion to do this because we are limited by those Supreme Court decisions. Well, so Burke, not what Burke, Burke's independently interpreting the statute to reach the conclusion, which it might, to reach the conclusion the Ninth Circuit did. But it's FERC saying we can't do that because we have our marching orders from the Supreme Court. No, I, I think, I mean, there are, there are two interpretive questions here. What, uh, when does the public interest standard uh, identified in the, this Court's decisions in Mobile and Sierra apply? And then there's the further question of what is necessary to satisfy the public interest standard for modifying a contract. We think on both points uh, the, the Commission's decision in this case reflects an interpretive judgment to, uh, that the Court's decision in — or the interpretation reflected in the Court's decision in Sierra applies equally in the market-based rate system without any uh, of the — either of the two prerequisites that the Ninth Circuit uh, formulated as a precondition to applying the public interest standard. And I would point the Court's uh, attention in the Joint Appendix and the Commission's decision to uh, Joint Appendix 1244 and 1245, repeated again at 1572 and 1573, and also the passage quoted in the Morgan Stanley brief at page 17 reflects a determination of what the Commission's longstanding policy has been, that contracts once entered into uh, their integrity must be protected and should not be lightly set aside. And also, the Commission specifically rejected at pages 1564 and 1565 of the Joint Appendix the prerequisites that the Ninth Circuit came up with in this case, that there must be an opportunity to determine whether the rates were within a zone of just and reasonableness at the time the contracts were entered into in order for Mobile and Sierra to apply. Under a market-based rate system, what FERC does is determine at the outset when, when an applicant applies for a market-based tariff whether that company has market power and, if so, whether it's mitigated. Only in those circumstances is the company granted the authority to market, uh, to, to set prices by um, the market. Uh, that what happens if the, that approval is given and then a seller enters into contracts uh, and then it's later discovered that contrary to what FERC thought when it granted the approval, the seller has exercised market power or has otherwise manipulated the market. Is there any remedy in that situation? Well, what, what, the, what the Commission determined in this case is that there was, there was no manipulation with, or, or exercise of market power identified with respect to these specific contracts. And what the Commission decided was that the importance of the integrity of contracts in that circumstance required that the, that the uh, contract be maintained. If the respondents had shown bad faith or something like that in, in the connection or fraud in connection with the formation of these particular contracts, that would have been quite a different matter. It's also important to note that the um, Commission found in this case that there was no dysfunction in the forward market, which is what we have here. What was going on is that there was dysfunction in the spot market in 2000-2001 for a variety of reasons, some of them going to market fundamentals, such as uh, a, a shortage of generation capacity, a shortage of hydropower. Just, just so I understand your answer to Justice Alito's question, the, the, the Commission has retroactive authority uh, to alter the permission 
to engage uh, in, in, in these contracts uh, only if there's fraud? No, it, or, it, it can. I'm sorry. It, or, or something the, similar? Once it has granted market-based uh, rate authority, FERC can revoke that. And, in fact, companies, there is a triennial review of that. Retro, retroactively? Uh, no, it would be, it would be but revoked. But Justice Alito's question, I, I think, as I understood it, or at least the uh, question that, in my mind, that followed upon it, was whether or not, uh, what, what's the basis for any retroactive uh, uh, revocation of that authority? No, I, I, it wouldn't be retroactive. It would be, it would be from the date of the complaint. Uh, that, would, that would it be a filed. public interest finding, a finding that because of of the market manipulation by the seller that affected this very contract, the public interest uh, demands that we uh, uh, not not hold the yes, and I mean, in that situation, there is an important public interest in eliminating fraud. Right, and and in well, I, I didn't say fraud; I said market or, manipulation, or, 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 yeah, or, or market manipulation. But, but isn't, isn't the remedy for the for the finding of market manipulation? Uh, the abrogation of the contract, which is a, a, a separate process from uh, from the, the the revocation of, of market-based tariff. There, there, there are, and, and this is the, the point I was saying. The same reason may support each. But right. I, I was uh, going to make that point in response to Justice Kennedy's question. If 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 it, if it turns out that subsequent ev- evidence shows that a particular company has market has acquired market-based power, then. Um, FERC can revoke that authority on a going-forward basis to continue to sell on that basis. And, in fact, companies are required uh, to report any changes in their circumstances that might affect their market power, and there's a triennial review of that. But as long as the market — Did the companies who were involved in this case make those reports? I mean, there was something about during this energy crisis, there was rampant um, noncompliance with the filing, with the — Quarterly report filing. There, there, there was, and the, and the Ninth Circuit found that in the in the in the Lockyer decision. But that that is a that is a this sort of uh, flaw in market oversight uh, that should be addressed directly by FERC. It shouldn't be a, um, it shouldn't be addressed by collateral attacks on contracts that were entered into under the regulatory regime. As Mr. It Mr. Needler, I'm, I'm not entirely understanding you. Why why should the fact that the seller later acquired market power have anything to do with whether the initial contract, when he did not have market power, was a fair one. The contract's already down in black and white. His later acquisition of market power cannot affect uh, No, that, I mean, that, that is certainly correct. I think, the, I think the question of what concerned the Ninth Circuit Actually, the Ninth Circuit wasn't addressing market power. It was addressing the possibility of market I understand. function. But La- later I- acquisition of market power would, would result in a cancellation of the permission for this particular uh, firm to uh, enter into contracts for the future. But I, I don't see why it would affect the past contracts. Well, and, and we don't think it should, except to the extent the public interest standard Okay. Is maybe I think I led us into, into this, Mr. Needler. The, the situation that I was positing was a situation uh, in, in which the, the power marketer had engaged in market manipulation in the context of which, at the time of which, it made this contract. And my suggestion to you, which I think you took, was that in a situation like that, there would be a basis for public interest review and abrogation of this contract because of the market manipulation, in fact. And the market manipulation would also be a reason 
to say market power had been acquired, it had not been mitigated, and hence the market-based uh, tariff authority would also be revoked. But, and and that, was the, that was the limit of my question. And I take it your answer there is it could do each of those things. Yes, it could, okay. could revoke the market-based power going forward, and with respect to manipulation, especially if there was manipulation affecting the particular contract, that would be a basis for finding that the public interest required the contract to be modified. If I may, I'd like to reserve the uh, Mr. Needle, I do have one question. It was the position that FERC took in December of 2000 when it was encouraging the entrance into the long-term contracts rather than using the spot market. And in that order, FERC said that it would monitor long-term contracts vigorously for rate reasonableness and that buyers could challenge rates through 206 proceedings. What happened to to that position? This is such a challenge, but what FERC has concluded is that the public interest standard has to be satisfied in that situation. FERC encouraged parties to go into the long-term market in order to diminish the market volatility, and it would frustrate that that encouragement. And then how did did FERC monitor the uh, rates vigorously to make sure they were reasonable. There were, there were, ex, there was extensive staff studies and monitoring in subsequent decisions that are, that are shown and that are in the joint appendix in April, in January and April and June, uh, when FERC came up with its final program to mitigate the problems in the spot market. Mr. Dellinger. Justice Stevens, good morning and may it please the court. Justice Ginsburg began by asking whether the Ninth Circuit decision did not, in fact, empower rather than restrict the authority of the Commission. The answer is that the Ninth Circuit decision fundamentally precludes the Commission from carrying out what the Commission believes is essential to its mandate to assure an abundancy of uh, electrical energy at the lowest possible cost, and that is to encourage a market-based approach to recognize that if you're going to have, as the Commission has said, the kind of investment in the building of infrastructure to produce energy, people are going to have to be able to rely upon long-term contracts. In this case, what the Ninth Circuit's decision did is to take away a very important option that the Commission believes is essential in times of market volatility and dysfunction. And that is the option for parties to get out of the spot market and to enter into a long-term contract of a secured supply. If the Ninth Circuit's decision stood, literally parties, buyers and sellers, would both be precluded from entering into that because you would know if there were dysfunction that nothing you could say in the contract could mean that you could buy power for the next eight years at $105 at a time, as was the case here when the spot market was $300. It would take away the option, and sellers would know they couldn't enter into a contract they could rely upon, subject only to being overridden in the public interest, which FERC does. And that would be very damaging to the very processes which the Commission has used, consistent with this Court's decisions. Of 50 years ago to encourage development in this industry. Well, they, they, those decisions uh, are puzzling transposed to this 
setting, because in those decisions it was the seller who had made a bad bargain, the price was too low, and the seller wanted to get out, right? Yes. And, and now we're transposing that. And, the, and one of the main themes, I think, of Justice Holland's decision was this act was meant to protect the consumer, to make sure that the consumer wasn't going to be overcharged. And that runs through those two 1956 decisions, when, at, at a time when there was no market-based authority or any such, right? Well, yes, Justice Ginsburg, that is correct. That was a case where a seller was seeking to get out of a contract that was paying too low. But the fundamental purpose, the, the Court recognized, even in Justice Harlan's opinion, that maintaining the stability and expectation of contracts was going to be important to consumers, to buyers, as well as to sellers. In this, and, and FERC has adopted that position. In this case, you have a situation where the Commission decided that instability in the spot markets was being partly caused by the fact that the reg- state regulatory process had discouraged people from entering into longer-term contracts. And FERC said in its 2000 San Diego order, we strongly urge utilities to move their load to a long term contracts of two years or more. That's the same order where they said, and we're going to monitor the rates for reasonableness. That is true. And when they did indeed undertake a review of this, they decided that with respect to these contracts, there was no evidence of bad faith. There was no evidence of unfairness. There was no evidence of duress. There was no evidence of any market manipulation that affected the contracts specifically in these long-term cases. The long-term contracts were part of the solution or the mitigation of the problem. It was a long-term contract that allowed the utilities in this case to get out from under $300 a megawatt prices and to, and to enter into a contract at $105 Mr. in one of the Hall, cases. Can I ask this question? Assume there's absolutely no bad faith or fraud or anything like that. But there's just a general conclusion that the market was such, in such turmoil that there could not be made reasonable long-term contracts uh, because the, the predicate for that kind of negotiation just didn't exist. Would that be a basis for setting aside the contracts? No. And it's very important that that not be a basis because if that were the case, parties would know, and parties were — both all parties were aware that there was volatility, and the Commission had announced that the conditions were conducive to manipulation of the spot markets. That would mean that a seller would say to a buyer, we know you'd like to get out of this volatility and get a regular supply guaranteed at a, at a much lower price for a long term. We can't enter into that contract, because the fact that we know there's been this problem in the market means that our contract won't be upheld. At the Ninth Circuit's decision says that Contract terms are not binding if they were influenced by a dysfunctional market. And that is the very most important circumstance in which having long-term contracting is most is valuable. Is volatile the same as dysfunctional? Justice Kennedy, I don't know precisely what the Ninth Circuit means by dysfunctional. There is volatility. I, I think the difference would be is there manipulation is one factor. 
is there were a number of factors that, that caused the volatility Mr. here. Mr. does that mean it's your position that no matter how dysfunctional the market was, just complete turmoil, as long as the contract is made in good faith without any fraud or uh, abuse of power, it's, it's a binding contract? That is correct, unless, and this is an important unless, the Commission reviews those contract terms and finds that the public interest necessitates a revision of the contract. They have that discretion. They have that authority. They are prepared to and have exercised it. But in, in this case — For example. For example. For example. In, if uh, the prices uh, down the road turn out to be so high for the utility that the utility would go out of business? That, that is an example that yeah. the court gave in Mobile and mm-hmm. and Sierra. But the court, but what the commission would know is that the circumstances would have to be rather extraordinary, because whenever you were to modify the terms of a contract that the seller had been relying upon, the sellers became buyers. They also went out on the market. They're buying and selling. So unraveling all of these buying and selling would would itself be would be dysfunctional. But what? What sellers would know thereafter is that they couldn't rely upon the contracts. They would either have to stay out of that market or they would have to charge a risk premium, which would raise prices to buyers and consumers. So that long-run harm of making it less reliable to engage in contracting would have to be overcome by a fairly severe showing of what the short-term harms would be to one particular set of buyers. Um, the, the Commission has made those findings. They found circumstances where uh, the contracts gave first priority to commercial users of power, and in a time of shortage, that meant that residential customers would be cut off. The Commission ordered that done. The Commission has been on the job here. They have the, the process by which they grant market-based rate authority is an elaborate one. They get assurances that. The sellers lack transmission market power, generation market power, that there are no barriers to entry, that if they have transmission facilities, there's open access. They, uh, any party can challenge that. And any party in this case, any party in you this case. You said the commission is on the job, but the, the, one of the uh, pieces of information here is that the commission staff said that the dysfunction in the spot market carried over into the forward market such that prices in the forward market were inflated. That is correct. But what the Commission realized is that the parties were aware of what was going on in the spot market. They were able to contract on that basis, they could have asked for what's called a Memphis Clause, giving either party the right to seek modification based on some administrative determination of what a right price would be at some later point. They did not. They kept in the clauses that allowed only joint uh, approaches to uh, the Commission. And indeed, in one contract said uh, that the rates are fixed and shall remain in effect for the terms of this agreement. That language is illustrative of how you could not enter into a long-term contract and assure that the terms were binding. The fact I don't understand what that statement makes uh, means anyway. That the, the the current dysfunction carries over into into the future market. What, what, what does that mean? 
I, uh, D- well, does it mean that because of the current dis- dysfunction, you can't predict for sure what the rates are going to be down the road? Of course it means that. But doesn't a dysfunction always mean that? Yes. Dysfunction. And, and, and isn't that why you enter into long, long-term contracts? Yes. Yes. Because given the current dysfunction, you have no idea what the price is going to be down the road. That's exactly Mr. right. Mr. Challenger, wasn't the staff saying something more than that in, the, in that report? I don't, I, I don't know what you're intimating, but I, the, the, what the conclusion was of the Commission was, for example, that there was no basis to support a finding that the respondents exercised well, the market. The Commission didn't, didn't respond to the staff report, right? didn't say anything one way or another about it. Well, the Commission expressly said with respect to the to the uh, staff report that there was no evidence of any manipulation. Did they say it with respect to the staff report? Or I thought they thought the staff report was irrelevant. Yes. The aspect of the staff report that said that forward prices were influenced by prices in the spot market and that there had been dysfunction was irrelevant precisely because it would have been relevant were the Commission making its own administrative, bureaucratic determination of a right price. But the parties made the determination of the prices that they wanted to agree to, the terms they wanted to agree to, and they did so with full knowledge, both that they knew there had been some manipulation, that there was volatility, and that they knew they didn't know, as Justice Scalia said, the extent of it. And therefore, that's precisely why you want to be involved in a contract that guarantees you today that no matter what happens to prices in the next year or next summer, one of these one of these utilities has a guarantee of power to $105. I will reserve my time for Mr. Mr. Needler, unless there are questions. No, I'm not. He's going to do the he's going to do the rebuttal, whatever amount of time he has, Justice Stevens, unless there are further questions. Thank you. Mr. Wright. Thank you, Justice Stevens, and may it please the Court. I'd like to start off uh, by picking up on Justice Ginsburg's observation that FERC understood itself to be without discretion here and add the point that this is an extremely unusual case where FERC thought it lacked discretion to apply the statute. In the briefs, there's now agreement that the just and reasonable standard applies to all rates under the Act. And couldn't be more clear that the just and reasonable standard applies. FERC A lot un- of your arguments and, uh, and the arguments of the respondents seems to be in some tension. It seemed to me to be in some tension with FERC's market-based rate program. Do you, do you acknowledge that that is a permissible interpretation of the Federal Power Act or not? I, there is much that we don't disagree with about the market-based rate program. I suppose we do think that there are two things that FERC has to make sure that it does as part of that program. Um, first, in, 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 a, in approving the market-based rate program, um, Judge Douglas Ginsburg said, when there is a competitive market, FERC may rely upon market-based rates in lieu of cost of service regulations. That makes perfect sense to us, but when there is a competitive market. So we think a critical part of a market-based rate program is that there must be an inquiry into whether or not the market was competitive when the contract was entered into. Of course, we have the unusual circumstance here 
where Professor Kahn and nine other deregulatory economists uh, wrote a letter in May 2001 saying um, markets are out of control. This is the unusual circumstance where FERC should enter a price cap. Isn't it a a central requirement of a market-based rate program that FERC cannot, except perhaps in very limited circumstances, go back and undo contracts that have been entered into under that program based on a retrospective determination that the rates are not just and reasonable in the same sense that FERC would have applied that term if the utility had simply filed a tariff? Justice Alito, all rates must be just and reasonable. We are not arguing that FERC needs to go back to a cost-of-service rate-making approach. But an agency that sees just and reasonable and thinks it's applying a just and reasonable standard for 70 years has thought it's either going to do a cost-of-service approach or, more recently, it's going to rely on the market to make rates just and reasonable. Our modest point is that it can't ignore the market. No, but I guess this is what's bothering us. Your point does not seem, at least to me, to be a modest point. Because if I understand where you're going, you're saying that in a market with the the degree of volatility of this one, at the time these contracts were made, no contract is enforceable. It will last only so long as, as, as one party does not complain about a disadvantage. And the minute it does, it's back in front of FERC, uh, and the, the argument is being made that, in fact, a, a market-based rate uh, cannot be enforced through contract because the very premise, i.e., what you call and, and what was called a competitive, uh, Judge Ginsburg called a competitive market, was absent. Isn't that the consequence of what you're arguing? Yes. Let me make four points here, though, that I think make absolutely clear that um, it, it would not set a broad precedent to revisit the contracts here. The four points are, first, the government acknowledges in the brief at page 16, this was the worst electricity market crisis in history. Second, well, uh, how do we know when we're, we're only in the second worst? Well, um, <laughs> no, but I, I mean, the, no, no, the problem is no, no, I, so, I don't see yes. any, and, and I realize that you're, you're, you're giving me limiting principles to what seems to me, in effect, a general rule that says no contracts are enforceable if they're made during periods of market volatility, volatility, however sensible they may be given the premise of that volatility. And your first proposal for a limiting principle is this was the worst of times, and I don't see how that's going to help because somebody is always going to claim, well, these times are, are almost as bad. Right. You, well, your, your, your Honor, of course, the Federal Power Act instructs a Federal agency to ensure that rates are just and reasonable. A, the Federal Power Act, the, the, the FERC, Look, that's a good FERC formula, needs to but grapple with this. That's a good, that, that, I mean, that's a, that's a fine general phrase. But the question is, is it possible to make an enforceable contract under these circumstances? Well, well, I haven't heard a limiting principle yet. You have three others. I have three others. There was rampant noncompliance with the reporting requirements. The government concedes that, too. FERC's market-based rate program, however well it might work today, after it's been improved, as the government said in its opposition to cert, however well it's been improved on account of the 2005 amendments. Okay. Did these did 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 the did the petitioners here? Uh, do you claim that the petitioners here were were guilty of failure to report? 
yes, they, 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 they were not they, they were not complying with the we, we, we contend that the reporting requirements that were in effect in two thousand one were inconsistent with the statute and not and they no, were but they, not but the, that's that's a different issue that may that may be that the the, the commission was was derelict uh, in in having a non statutory condition but did did these petition do you claim was is is it a basis for your claim before FERC that these petitioners failed to follow the reporting requirements that were in effect. I, our, our, our basic argument is that the rates weren't just and reasonable, and the rates that's, that's weren't, what I weren't just and reasonable on the day the contracts were signed. And let me make clear. Okay, but here I, I just I want to make sure I understand. You're saying one one limiting principle is the the re-examination of contract might be limited, or at least uh, only prompted by a, a, a failure to follow reporting requirements. I can understand that, and that offhand seems to me perfectly fair. It may not cover this case, but I can understand that. What are your other two reasons? Uh, my third is uh, a Commissioner Massey stated in his dissent, without contradiction by the majority, that if the just and reasonable standard were, were, would be applied, these would, rates would be declared unlawful because they were multiples of traditional prices. Okay, but that seems to me consistent with the, with the problem that I have uh, with, with your argument, and that is uh, if you make a contract in a period of high volatility and it seems reasonable to the two parties to come up with a rate that is certainly a higher rate than, than anybody would come up with if they were going through uh, cost-plus-return rate-making, the contract uh, is, is vulnerable, and it seems to me that Commissioner Massey's argument is consistent with the conclusion that all those contracts are vulnerable. So I don't see that as, as any limiting principle. What's your fourth one? Fourth one is, as Ju Justice Ginsburg has noted, that FERC said in December 2000, before all of the contracts at issue were, were negotiated, that it would um, uh, uh, monitor and, and would uh, uh, deems uh, rates above $74 uh, a suspect. All, all the contracts in here have rates above that benchmark. So it's the worst crisis in history. There's rampant noncompliance. Rates were multiples of traditional prices. And FERC had said it was going to uh, uh, study these rates closely. Okay. I can understand under, under your fourth point. I, I could understand the, the, the position if, if the argument were this is above $74 uh, and therefore it is suspect. But the claim that you are making, is a, as I understand it, is a much broader claim. You're saying the entire contract ought to be abrogated in the public interest, not, not merely uh, above $74 but below $74. Isn't, isn't that correct? Well, I'm sorry, Your Honor. We, we, we want this case to be sent back to FERC. And when you get there, you're, you're saying abrogate this contract. It, we, we are saying re reduce the rates. Are and, you and, saying, if, have if, you at any point said reduce the rates to $74? Um, I'm sure different — there are many different parties on my side. I'm sure we have many different theories. Could I tell you what FERC's done with respect to the spot I will I will stop the cross-examination, but I just wanted to get the four points. I, I, I appreciate the cross-examination. Um, it's helped me get out what I think are four points. If, if your theory prevails and you go back to the Commission, uh, does the Morgan Stanley contract with whoever its seller was, does that get reevaluated too? Do you reevaluate all the contracts back down the line? Oh, I'm, I'm, does Morgan Stanley's — well, Morgan Stanley actually uh, — a, a number of parties in Morgan Stanley's situation 
chose to file protective uh, actions and, and Morgan Stanley didn't. So I don't know whether it's waived its rights or not. Um, I think FERC ought to grapple with that. Let me say be that consistent with your theory that everybody, that, that, that this whole uh, unwinding process backs up all the way down to the original seller? Right. Well, you, you, your, your Honor, the way these markets work, there's every reason to think that Morgan Stanley doesn't have the sort of claim that they've suggested without telling us they have. And, of course, they know what their portfolio is. There's every reason to think that they bought power before the big spike came and that they've bought power since then and that they're not, they're not buying power at 104 and selling it to Snohomish at, at, at 105, Your Honor. Well, good for them. <laughs> I mean, uh, you, you're suggesting they should be punished for that? I, I don't understand what — what follows from we, we, it? I mean, we, we're, we're not, Your Honor, but I would remind you, this is a plain language case. The statute requires rates to be just and reasonable. That for 70 years, that's meant something to administrative agencies. The well, reason how, would you, how would you go about determining in this case? You said it's not the traditional cost of service, return on investment. So how, if you prevail, what, what should FERC do to determine whether this rate was fair and reasonable? Thank you, Your Honor. Uh, We we expect that ultimately it will do or should do what it's done with respect to the spot market. Um, With respect to the spot market, it has provided relief to parties who bought at the same time. And what it has done is it has has determined what it calls a, a mitigated market clearing price. It's done this with great uh, elaborate uh, elaboration for periods as low as 10 minutes uh, for the period in 2000-2001 when it is now conceded manipulation of of raised rates on the spot market. And it has taken the the prices that were paid and it it has reduced them to what it calls the mitigated market clearing price. This is, this is described in painful detail in, uh, in the Ninth Circuit's 2006 CPUC versus FERC. Didn't decision. your clients know that the market was chaotic at the time they entered into this long-term contract? I mean, has this come as a surprise that after the fact, now that you're paying more than the market price is, you want to kick over a long-term contract you entered into. What, what has changed? Did, did you not know that the market was chaotic? Wasn't that the very reason you entered into the long-term contract? You, you, Your Honor, we had a, a sort of a Henry Ford choice. Any, we, we, we had a choice of a variety of rates as long as they were unjust and unreasonable. We didn't have any alternative because of the market manipulation that allowed us to get a just and reasonable rate on the spot market, on a long-term market. You you were saying that the the most reasonable thing for us to do was to enter into a long-term contract in order to mitigate the effects of the chaotic spot market. In in large part because FERC had told us they were going to monitor these these contracts and use the $74 In fact, you did very well under these contracts. Initially, you were even reselling some of the energy that you got. You got it at, at a price so much below what was then the market that you made a profit by reselling it. Um, but you, now that things have changed, you don't like the long-term contract. You, you, your, your Honor, it's our position that we have to prove these were just and reasonable on the day they were entered. And, and the way these markets work, 
local utilities buy Snohomish, like Snohomish buy energy, and they always sell a little bit. They're going to lose $153 million over the life of this contract, and it's always been the life of the contract that FERC has, has thought was, was the, uh, the, the real benchmark. Mr. Wright, may I go back to your answer to Justice Ginsburg's question? She asked you, what do you, what do you want FERC to do if, if it does what you want uh, them to do? And you said, we want them to make the same kind of adjustments ex post that they made to the spot prices. Isn't there one big difference to be to between readjusting spot prices uh, and rewriting or abrogating uh, a contract like this? In the case of adjusting the spot prices, in effect, what they're saying is somebody isn't going to make the killing that he thought he was making. Uh, it was a spot price indicates it was a snap decision. People were reacting to uh, to changes in the market from hour to hour. Uh, and um, the Commission is going to go back and say, you know, you're out of luck on the killing you thought you made. When, on the other hand, the Commission, uh, in effect, rewrites or abrogates a contract, it is saying something very different. It is saying you may not engage in long-term reliance on the agreements that you make. And isn't that a huge difference? Your, your, your Honor, we think that FERC could, and, and it seems clear that it will, distinguish between spot market and long-term contracts on these bases. Our point there is that we probably, if it does, then have to overcome a hurdle and show that there wasn't effective competition at the time the long-term contracts were entered into. FERC might rationally, once it grapples with this, decide that that's the way the just reasonable yeah, standard applies. With, with respect, doesn't that, in effect, mean, going back to your answer to Justice Ginsburg, that what you really want is to say there wasn't effective competition. There wasn't effective competition because the market was chaotic. And therefore, in a chaotic market, including this one, a long-term contract, which later turns out to be disadvantageous to one side, is unenforceable. Isn't that what you, your real answer to Justice Ginsburg is? Well, Your, your Honor, again, I, I don't think we should prevail, and it's not our position that we prevail unless we show that we didn't have just and reasonable alternatives uh, at the time we entered into the contract. We, we don't think we can no, but I mean, I, that's that's where I, I'm. I, I don't think that, at least with me, helps your argument. We all know that there is a broad umbrella standard of justness and reasonableness. One index of justness uh, is the set of conditions under which the parties operate. The conditions in this case were conditions of chaos. And what the other side is saying, I think, is we each tried to make the most reasonable deal we could, the most advantageous for us that we could, under these conditions of chaos. They certainly produced a rate that wouldn't have been produced uh, in a calm time, uh, either by market-based tariffs uh, or by cost-plus-return rate-making. But under the circumstances that we did operate in, this is what it produced, uh, and we were dealing at arm's length. Nobody was engaging in fraud, etc. So that's just. And I think when you say, 
as you did a minute ago, there is an overarching um, obligation or, or standard of just and justness and reasonableness. I think you're saying that that reasoning that I just tried to outline is not sufficient reasoning for sustaining the contract. Now, if I'm wrong, tell me. If I'm, I'm right, it seems to me you're really saying ditch the contracts if they were ended into in a period of high volatility. Well, Your, Your Honor, let me make clear what, what uh, we mean by chaos or high volatility. We think we have to show that manipulation was affecting the market. We don't, we don't think we're entitled to relief if it was the weather that was affecting the market. FERC's 2003 staff. Are you entitled to relief if there was manipulation, but these people were not engaging in the manipulation? In other words, they are, in effect, uh, innocent of the manipulation, but they, as sellers, are, are in a chaotic market. Are you entitled to relief against them under those circumstances? We, we, we don't think that a statute that protects consumers and says that consumers get just and reasonable rates was enacted to prevent, uh, to, to overcome contracts only when there is fraud in the contract. The trouble is that justness uh, is a relational category. Uh, and, and you are, I think you're saying, we don't have to consider justness to the parties who were doing, we'll assume for the sake of the question, the best they could under bad circumstances. You're saying justness only goes uh, to, the, to the ultimate uh, retail rate payer. Again, Your Honor, we don't need this statute. The statute is sur superfluous insofar as it affects contracts, and, and that's its main effect if it, if it requires fraud in, in the negotiation of the contract. Um, and, and again, if Morgan Stanley can show that it was a victim of manipulation too, then it's entitled to relief. There's certainly been some of that with respect to some of these spot market deals where there are, are occasionally an, an intervening. Mr. Party. Wright, I really don't understand why you, why you say, you know, if, if the chaos is due to the weather or maybe, you know, an Arab oil embargo or whatever, that that's perfectly okay. But if it's due to manipulation, it's bad. I can understand if you added manipulation by one of the parties, by the sellers. That I could understand. But so long as it's a factor extrinsic to the parties to the contract, what difference does it make to the buyer whether the, the flukishness of the market is caused by the weather or by manipulation by somebody other than the seller? In well, other words, I, th I think it's not enough to show manipulation. That's what's going on in the market. And you're trying to save yourself from it. So long as it's not manipulation by the seller, I don't see how you have a, I don't know, a, an equitable case. It, 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 on the equities, um, if the local utilities end up bearing the brunt of making bad judgments about the weather, that's one thing. It's quite another thing if there's rampant noncompliance hiding the fact that there's been massive withholding of energy and and driving and, and, and these spikes were not accidental by any means. Uh, that seems to us to be, uh, a, a, you know, a, a, a sort of distinction that the that the law draws all the time. And let me say the the, the example. I'm still puzzled by your answer to Justice Scalia. If say it is something like an atom bomb or terrorism or something totally innocent for the parties, but it causes the same economic consequence, namely that the rates are a lot higher than they otherwise would be. Why do you draw the distinction 
that, that he says doesn't make sense? Well, I, I guess the ultimate distinction is that there isn't somebody making a whole lot of money on account of market well, but in each case, the somewhere. rates would be higher than they otherwise would be, and you'd have to say they're high enough to be no longer just and reasonable. Well, just and reasonable, again, has always — has traditionally first met a, a, a sort of cost-of-service inquiry and more recently means a market inquiry. But, again, a market inquiry doesn't — means a competitive market, an effective market, as Professor Kahn said, not a market totally infected by, by manipulation. And, but and in, it's in totally any infected by an act of God, it seems to me the same consequence. I guess consumers uh, bear the brunt of acts of God, but don't — shouldn't bear the brunt of, of market manipulation uh, that was uh, unlawful and now is — I think you could argue for the, for, for, that it should be just the obverse. <laughs> um, aren't you really arguing — no, but aren't you really making the argument that the, the, the notion of justice does have an equitable component that looks to the source of the, of the trouble. And if the source of the chaos in the market are the very people who are trying to make uh, a profit on your contract, that is a reason to say that that market-based rate is not a just one, because they created the conditions that gave them the leverage to get you to make the deal that you made. But if they are not guilty of improper conduct in making it, then, you know, everybody has to take his lumps. Aren't well, you well, saying uh, something like that? Uh, we, we, we don't know because FERC hasn't looked at it, what, who Mark Morgan Stanley paid and what they paid. No, but and, just as a general who premise, made money here. In, in your answer to Justice Scalia, weren't you assuming something like that? We, we certainly think that the best result would be that whoever was manipulating the market ought to be the one who ends up getting uh, their return cut and, and, and that uh, and that the local utilities and any innocent middlemen uh, should be made whole, too. That's fine. It was brought up earlier in discussing the market-based rate program, so, sort of what sorts of remedies were, were allowed. And, and let me say that, uh, well, I think this came up, but the Enron example shows very well. Enron got market-based rate authority in 1993. Enron was not the only player, but was a leading player in the market manipulation in 2000-2001. FERC didn't get around to lifting their market-based rate authority until 2003, and they did it strictly prospectively. Um, it is a core point of our argument today that that shouldn't be allowed. That and, and I think the answer was, well, market-based rate authority only results in lifting the market-based rate authority. A 206 action under the Federal Power Act is where consumers get relief. Um, that's right, and we're here to get relief. And we think that ultimately the parties that manipulated the market and made too much money on account of the manipulation ought to ought to lose what, what they paid, and, and certainly the, the rate payers shouldn't bear the cost. And if they're if they're innocent mid middlemen, they shouldn't bear the cost either. That's and to the extent that you make that argument, that's an answer sort of to the question that, that I put to you a couple of times. Why, why is your argument anything less broad than the fact that you can't make a contract in a chaotic market? And, 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 and you are at least as a subset of what you're saying uh, telling us uh, that if the contract, if the chaos in the market 
was caused by the impropriety of one contracting party, that party should not profit uh, from it. And, and I, I, I understand that answer, that if to the extent that that is your position, it is an answer to, to my question. Thank you, Your Honor. Um, and l- let me remind the Court that, that one case that uh, the other side, I don't think, has uh, acknowledged sufficiently is this Court's 1974 Texaco decision. That was a situation where, well, the Federal Power Commission attempted attempted to do what the other side is asking this Court to rule today, to essentially make contracts uh, sacrosanct and not subject to any uh, challenge. FERC had told small producers that uh, it it wouldn't, that they could enter into uh, contracts and they didn't have to file the contracts. And, and the Commission wouldn't review the contracts to see if they were just and reasonable. This Court very clearly held, quote, the Commission lacks authority to place exclusive reliance on market prices, unquote. Under this statute, which requires just and reasonable rates, uh, there must be coexistence between contracts and a regulatory backstop. And, and, and again, in the situation here that, that you helped me review, the worst electricity market crisis in history, rampant noncompliance, rates that were multiples of traditional levels and couldn't be justified under anything FERC has ever called a just and reasonable standard, and FERC had said it was going to ex- examine a benchmark, this is a case that FERC has to go back and explain why, at least explain why it thinks these rates are just and reasonable. Oh, uh, just and reasonable when? On the day they were made. On the day they were agreed to. And, and, and we think they weren't because they were the product of, of mar- market manipulation that made all of the rates of They were just and reasonable. Well, uh, um, that made all rates unjust and unreasonable on, on that date. But I, but I think, and, and here I want to be clear on this, you're saying they were not just and reasonable on the date they were made. Number one, if the market manipulation that caused the chaos was manipulation by these petitioners. That, that, that at least is part of your argument. But I think you're also saying that the rates were not just unreasonable if they were the result of market manipulation by others, not these petitioners. Am I correct that your argument is broad enough to encompass the second alternative? Uh, a- absolutely, Your Honor. Okay. And even that argument is much narrower than what the Ninth Circuit held, isn't it? The, mark, the Ninth Circuit just referred to dysfunction in the market. They didn't say, and dysfunction means manipulation by anybody. They seem to have included all sorts of other things, the California regulatory program, the weather, uh, and, and a number of other factors. Your Honor, we, we certainly agree that the, the test can't be dysfunction, that FERC has to grapple with this issue and, and give it a concrete meeting. I'm sure there would be disagreement on remand as to exactly what it means and their lines to be drawn. But FERC needs to do that. FERC hasn't done that. Um, um, FERC honestly thought, again, this is an unusual case, FERC honestly thinks that the public interest standard, or thought, that the public interest standard is a completely different animal than the just and reasonable standard. And if you're relying on the narrowest ground that, uh, that uh, um, uh, Justice uh, Souter uh, mentioned, namely uh, manipulation by the seller 
Uh, wasn't it incumbent on you to demonstrate that there was manipulation by the seller? Has that been we, we, is, we, is that we, been established? We, we're we're relying on both, Your Honor. We we we, we 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 are our no, main, I'm just saying our, you, our you, main you, argument is that all rates in the West at this period of okay. time because of manipulation were, were by somebody you, you, of, of manipulation. Okay. Yes. Well, didn't the ALJ find there wasn't manipulation in this market? Um, and the ALJ found that the spot market manipulation — the ALJ found that the spot market manipulation didn't affect the forward markets. No one agrees to that day. FERC has disowned it. Morgan Stanley's disowned it. I'm told that the ALJ has disowned it. Has uh, so, the, so did that, FERC that, disowned? Did FERC disown? Did, did FERC reject the finding of the ALJ as the manipulation of this? FERC, FERC said it was irrelevant. That was the part of, of FERC's first order where it said it is irrelevant whether the manipulation of the spot markets affected manipulation in the long-term markets. That would be relevant only if the just and reasonable standard applies. Of course, the just and reasonable standard applies. One final point. One remarkable aspect of this case is after FERC said that in its initial order, Morgan Stanley asked them to reconsider it, and they said, we won't do that. Thank you. Mr. Needler, in your rebuttal, will, will you address the state of the record with respect to evidence or findings about possible manipulation by these petitioners? Yes. Um, on page uh, 1589 of the Joint Appendix, the Commission said we've reviewed the staff report's findings and the 100-day discovery, which were discovery occurring in other proceedings, and found no evidence to support a finding of market manipulation that specifically affected the contracts at issue. Uh, it, it's important to recognize that there were two separate markets here. There was the spot market, which had struck — in addition to all the weather and all those things, it had structural problems requiring the California investor-owned utilities to trade on the, on the spot market, which contributed to the opportunities for the manipulation. The dysfunction and manipulation were tied together in that market. But uh, the, there was — the ALJ found that the long-term market was not dysfunctional. It was functioning. It operated as it should. Both now, parties — No, that's a premise in the, in the debate. I find it hard to accept. How could the two be totally separate? It was the crisis that made it necessary to engage in the long-term FERC has great discretion in deciding how to apply the public interest standard. It's not necessary to find that they were absolutely separate. It's sufficient, though, to say that the problems in the two separate market — the situations in the two separate markets were very different. And in the long-term market, uh, FERC concluded it was important to maintain the integrity of the contracts. Indeed, under a market-based system, as Justice Alito said, more important now even than at the time of Mobile, because you can't have a functioning market-based rate system without confidence that contracts will be upheld. In, in that situation, as this Court suggested in Verizon, you had sophisticated buyers and sophisticated sellers dealing in a situation in which both knew that there was chaos in the short — in the spot market, that there was — there were structural problems there, and that there were allegations of manipulation. But those allegations did not carry over to the um, — to the long-term market. May I ask — I am sure you — you understand that uh, a finding that there was no manipulation that affected these contracts is not the same as a finding that there was no ma manipulation by these sellers in the market. Right. right. There, uh, and there is no such finding that there was no manipulation. 
That's that's correct. But what, what and there is no finding that there was by these sellers. That's correct. And what the what the commission was basically saying is we're treating the long term market situation differently. These some of these sellers might have been engaged in manipulation in the short term market, but FERC was trying to draw a distinction between the spot market and moving forward and maintain the maintaining the integrity of of markets in the long term, where both the buyers and the sellers were both buyers and sellers typically. But in, in fact, it didn't get that articulate. The the closest it came. To answering my question, I take it, is at the point at, at, to which you referred me in the joint appendix. Uh, uh, no effect on these contracts. That's correct. But we don't think FERC should have to engage in a market-based evaluation of possible manipulation in order to hold two parties, two sophisticated parties, to their bargain. Well, then what do you say about the, 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 um, the standard of justice? In effect, I think you're saying it doesn't matter whether these particular petitioners manipulated the market, creating the conditions under which these contracts were made at a price which turned out to be much higher than the spot price would be later. It's, it's irrelevant. That's your position, isn't in the, it? The, the manipulation in the spot market, we think FERC properly concluded, did not have to be taken into account No, I'm here. not talking about what FERC said. I'm talking about your position. Yes. I think your position is that even if these people, even if these petitioners manipulated and that created the — or contributed to creating the market under which these contracts were made, that is irrelevant in, in, in looking at the contract. I think that's something that FERC would have to decide in this case, but that I, — my — I don't believe a claim of that sort has been made here. I believe the claim has — I'm not asking what claim has been made. I want, to under, I want to know what the government's position is. And as I understand the government's position is that manipulation by these petitioners would be irrelevant to a review under the public interest standard. Is that — I think that's that right? the best way to read FERC's okay. decision uh, in this case. And is, that I think the best, that's, is that the best way to read the government's position yes. here and now in this courtroom? That, that FERC — our position is that FERC was not required in the public interest, which looks at the market as a whole, not just the two, part, the two parties to the contract. It looks to the consequences for the market as a whole in unraveling particular contracts because there might have been manipulation somewhere else. We think FERC, recognizing the importance of integrity of, of contracts, could decide that it was going to look no further than the particular contracts at issue in deciding whether Thank there was you, market Mr. manipulation. Thank you, Mr. Well, the case is under taken.